following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our first reading this morning is Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin when you are on your beds. Search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And our second reading today is from Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through to 20. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has appointed for you, even Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wherever you are this morning, let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, touch our hearts that we may know you better. Touch our wills that we may serve you better. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. New series and today we're going to look at a sermon. It may surprise you to know that people don't always find sermons exciting. I don't understand them really. But Mark Twain said that if all the people who listened to sermons on a Sunday were laid end to end, they would be much more comfortable. 
So with that encouraging thought, uh, let's turn to the sermon. It's Peter's second sermon. You probably know all about the first one, which is the sermon he preached on the day of Pentecost. Uh, nobody fell asleep that day when he began to preach. Mainly because the listeners thought he was drunk and there is nothing quite so gripping as a preacher who is off his trolley, as they say, or tight as a tick, or got his wobbly boots on. Never heard that one. But this sermon, the one I'm going to look at today, isn't to those who've come for Pentecost. These are people who come regularly to the temple. They are very religious, and they know their Bibles backwards or from right to left. They're here for the daily hour of prayer, three o'clock in the afternoon. And they recognize Peter and John immediately because they're also regulars in the temple courts for the daily prayers. And there is a man there hanging on to Peter. But they all recognize that man as well because they've seen him lying by the gate beautiful asking for money day after day and we all know he's been disabled for years possibly since he was a child and now he's leaping about with feet and ankles very strong and praising god everyone wants to know the inside story of this and peter grabs the opportunity to talk about jesus now the sermon that follows is odd. It's not exactly like any other sermon in the book of Acts. It's got different ideas and different words. It's thoroughly Christian, but Peter keeps popping in unusual ideas and unfamiliar words, which make it sometimes very different from all the other sermons in the book of Acts. It's also thoroughly Christian, so are those sermons, but it's very different in all kinds of ways. It just reminds us that the gospel always needs to be dressed in different clothes. The heart of the gospel never changes, but it needs to be dressed in different clothes, in languages that different people can understand, in images that make sense to different cultures and classes and ages and genders. Now at this point you might be saying to yourself, if this, uh, this sermon suits the Jews of Jerusalem in 33 AD so well, there's probably not much chance of us understanding it in 2021 AD. So shall we stop now and maybe finish up with a hymn? No. I think it's worth staying with this sermon. Let's briefly get inside the heads of those Jews in the temple courts. As Peter begins to speak, it's likely that they're all asking themselves three questions. And it's possible that the three questions they're asking are the three questions, pretty much, that people who hear this sermon today would be asking. So let's see. Question number one, can I trust this witness? Peter is, putting it crudely, trying to sell something 
to the audience. And they're asking the unspoken question, do I trust him? Can I go along with him? Do I even like him? And these questions are pretty much the questions every audience asks when somebody starts to engage with them, particularly if they're trying to sell something. Just notice how Peter responds to this situation. One, I don't want you to think that John and I are special. It wasn't our power or our godliness which healed this man. Look, guys, I'm one of you. Two, men of Israel, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's the God of our fathers, actually, not just your fathers, it's my fathers as well. And by verse 17, he's saying, now, brothers. Three, I've got to be straight with you. I'm not going to whitewash what happened, so Peter tells it as it is, no messing. Difficult to say this, but you have some responsibility for Jesus being arrested. You disowned Jesus in front of Pilate, and at that point, Pilate had actually decided to release him. And you asked for a murderer to be released. This is really not good. Four, but I realize that you did it in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. And suddenly we catch the echo of Jesus when he was being crucified, don't we? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here's Peter saying just that. Five, good move this one. Actually, even your leaders didn't really know what they were doing. Not the inside story. And then, number six, comes the punchline. It's by the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus that this man has been made strong. And here's our first strange word. And it's holoclerian. And it doesn't come anywhere else in the New Testament. And it means 100% healed, total job. This is a masterpiece of how to get the audience on your side and listening. And there's really a vital point here for Peter and John, but also for us. If people don't feel they can trust you, and if they don't feel that you're on their side, then they won't trust your message. That's question number one, can I trust this witness? Question number two is, can I trust this God? Peter really goes for this. Yes, 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 you can trust this God. And he uses lots of titles of Jesus, which we all know very well because they come elsewhere. But I want to look at one title which is very unusual. Jesus is the author of life. Unusual word. In fact, this is almost the only place where this word is used. It comes a couple of other places in Hebrews. And it can be translated in many ways. The author of life, the author. So Jesus wrote the book on the subject. It can be translated captain. Christ leads the armies of the Lord. It can be translated ringleader. Prince, pioneer. 
And my favorite translation, trailblazer. That is, Jesus is the one that you follow. Sometimes through unexpected, sometimes through terrifying, but always exhilarating places that he leads you on. And you see, to people who might think that life was pointless and their faith was just empty words, comes this overwhelming, life-transforming title. Jesus is the author of life. Does Peter have to say anything to us? Yeah. Jesus gives life. And we need to know lots of different ways of describing the Jesus who gives life and the kind of life that he gives. Telling people what it feels like to follow him. We live in a culture which says something like this. Life is about making enough money to be comfortable. Finding a partner and enjoying yourself until you die. And beyond death is nothing. Life doesn't have any built-in meaning. It doesn't make sense and the sooner you realize that, the better. Now we need to resist this kind of assumption. And people make it from people who are in their 90s right down to people who are in their 19. That's what people believe. To judge by the daily paper, and I've been reading the daily paper every day during the whole of the last year, and you get this kind of thing. To judge by the daily paper, what is vital if we are to survive the pandemic goes like this. You must work out to get a beautiful body. You must sort out your wardrobe, several pages always spent on that. Here is what you should eat, over the page. Here is what you should drink. And for goodness sake, get a decent haircut. And I read that every week in the paper. But I remember an incident which happened when I was teaching. One morning, the biology teacher exploded into the staff room at break. What's up, I asked. He said, bad morning, and went straight to his mug of coffee. And it transpired that he had been teaching the life cycle of the frog. Now, I expect you did that at school as well. You know how it goes. It's got little pictures that go around in a circle. Picture number one is a frog spawn. Picture number two is tadpoles. At the bottom, tadpoles with wings. And then you end up with a picture of a frog. And then you go back to the beginning and one pupil protested and she said what's it all about sir what's it all about it just goes round and round and round here's a 14 year old schoolgirl resisting the picture that the world gives her and saying to herself there's got to be a better song to sing than this it's sad to say the teacher said, get it down in your book, colour it in, and you'll stay in at break. Which is not the best answer to somebody who's saying, what's life about? And Peter says, Christ is the author of life. C.S. Lewis is probably one of the best known Christians that, that there are. And while he was a lecturer, one day he took his bus ride, his normal bus ride, home. And as he tells the story, he became aware that he was keeping something at bay. It was as if, he says, I was wearing some rigid outer clothing, like corsets or a suit of armour. 
And he realized that he could either remain encased in this shell or he could take it off. And he writes, by the time he got off the bus, he felt as if he was a snowman at last beginning to melt. These were the first movements of new life. We know the story continued, and in the end he wrote the full story and entitled the book of how he became a Christian, Surprised by Joy. Christ is the author of life. It was true for those in Jerusalem who heard it first, and it is true for our world as well. Number one, can I trust this witness? Number two, can I trust this God? Number three, can I trust this vision? Peter offers, at the end, a vision of the future, including a glimpse, a glimpse sorry, of life beyond the grave, a picture of heaven, if you will. And again, he uses a phrase which hardly appears anywhere else in the New Testament. The times of refreshing will come. Here's Peter telling us that the Christian vision points towards this promise. It is a time of refreshing. Paul uses the same idea, but not the same word, when he writes to the Christians in Rome. Uh, and he's getting excited about seeing them. And he says, pray that I may come to you with joy, and together with you we will be refreshed. There's the, there's the idea, if not the word. Heaven is a time when you get refreshed. It is a picture we understand very easily in a time of lockdown. We hear all the time of mothers or fathers or sons or daughters or husbands or wives who have been stopped from seeing one another and they grieve. But now, from a few days back anyway, they can meet the one they love and both sides will be refreshed. And Peter says heaven is like that, only better. Paul often writes about people who refresh the hearts of the saints. And we know of people for whom it is a little foretaste of heaven to be with them. It is beautiful that refresh the hearts of the saints. Imagine you're meeting with a friend or a member of your family and you know one another through and through. There are no secrets, there are no misunderstandings. You share at a deep level in your conversation and so much laughter. How can a chat with a friend over coffee or a glass of wine or a pint, how can it be so unbelievably soul refreshing but we all know it is and that's a picture of the vision that peter gives of heaven rowan williams in a book that many of us are reading the uh, aaron i think chose it for our, our lent book and he talks about a poem in one of his little meditations uh, he talks about a poem which for him is one of the best poems ever written about heaven so i looked the poem up and when you do, you get, you get quite a surprise. Because the poet imagines seeing his long-dead parents on the other side of a river. 
and they are young again. And the sunlight catches his mother as a 23-year-old girl. And she's laying a blanket and they're going to have a picnic. And his father skims a stone across the river. And then they beckon to him and say, come over, come across. It's not as difficult as you think. I found that poem amazingly powerful, very moving. Who would have thought there could be so much pure joy talking with a friend or a family member? So says Peter, the times of refreshing will come. And they will for those who turn to Christ. For those who turn to Christ, tomorrow can be good. I will see those who I love again. And best of all, we shall see Jesus face to face. I love the spiritual that says, gonna lay down my heavy load down by the riverside. The times of refreshing shall come. That's our sermon and it's angled at a particular group of Jewish worshippers. But it can still speak to us and to our world. It encourages us to be honest, straightforward and faithful witnesses. It encourages us to speak passionately about Christ who is the author of life in a sad and disillusioned world. It encourages us to get excited about the joy which awaits every man and woman who puts their trust in the name of Jesus. Amen. And Alleluia. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.